Welcome to Necessary Illusions. I am your host, MC Squared. On this episode of the podcast, I interview Maxwell Neely of Maxed Out Solar. He's an activist, revolutionary, and solar energy consultant all rolled into one. On the show, we discuss solar energy and the climate crisis, among many other topics. I hope you enjoyed the show. Solidarity forever! Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, MC. Let's talk about your deafness. That's something we didn't talk about on the pre-call. So how has it, you know, kind of changed your world outlook? Um, has it influenced your politics at all? And, uh, you know, has it, has it been an obstacle for you, um, you know, in, in throughout your, your life? Or, you know, how has it kind of influenced you in your upbringing and whatnot? Absolutely. So, you know, um, it always had me kind of pinned as an outsider from day one. So I've always known, you know, that feeling of that feeling of being other, that feeling of being, you know, what everyone else is not, you know, so I've had that kind of a lifelong conditioning, um, making friends has always been harder growing up, you know, paying attention in school, you know, you want to get an A, you're going to have to work harder than somebody else to get that A because you're going to have to pay closer attention for longer. It's going to drain you quicker. You know, long story short, anything you do in life, you're going to have to work 10 times as hard and be thought of as half as good. So that's just a struggle that has always, you know, and I would say more recently have I really started thinking about it through this lens, but it's always impacted my development as a human being. It's impacted and shaped the relationships that I have with others. Um, it defines, you know, what tactics I'll have success and failure with in the solar industry. The number one tactic that most people recommend is going door to door knocking. Um, that's something that I have experience with in the past as a community organizer. I've worked for clean water um, community, you know, action um, agencies, and I've worked for immigrants' rights organizations. Um, I've worked doing site-based voter registration, helping people get registered to vote. Um, personally, I've registered probably over 300 people to vote. Um, collectively, I've overseen multiple teams of door knockers that have collectively knocked 30,000 doors. So I'm no stranger to door knocking. But now, with my hearing the way it is now, it's just degraded to a point where it's not where it was in the past. So... Long story short, 
you always, you know, being in this position kind of puts you into a position of forced creativity. You always have to be thinking about how am I going to adapt? What am I going to do next? If this doesn't work, how am I going to try it? What am I going to try next? So I would say, yeah, you know, I think that, you know, my experience with hearing loss had given me a tremendous amount of empathy for just the idea that maybe we don't all share like the same exact identical struggle, but just, you know, empathy for people who struggle um, and, you know, a real understanding that it's hard out here to make an honest buck. It's hard out here to survive the conditions of late stage capitalism and the climate crisis. It's hard out here to survive this weird economy and, you know, this pandemic that, you know, we saw come up in 2020, these changing times. So, you know, my experiences with uh, hearing loss and um, just disability and social isolation and exclusion, in a lot of ways, I think I was really well prepared for the pandemic in 2020. That's actually when I launched my solar consultancy and um, decided to go to attempt to go full remote. Um, that's no longer the case. I do have a job that I go to. Um, I'm a bartender in Washington, D.C., but I also operate as a digital solar consultant and, you know, sell solar remotely in over 20 U.S. states and um, do what I can to make a difference for the climate movement, do what I can to kick money down the street to people that need it and um, donate to good organizations that are doing good work when I have that ability. I think that, you know, my experience with deafness in a lot of ways have given me um, – a lot of thought as to who gets taken care of and who does not get taken care of, who gets left behind and who does not get left behind. And um, my promise to my followers and my fans, you know, my customers, whoever you want to call it, the people that I do business with, the people I interact with, um, just, you know, whatever we want to call it, you know, whatever, however we want to define that relationship is that I don't ever give a shit about, this idea that somebody has to earn something, somebody has to earn the right to be alive. That's an idea that I reject. I, I think, agree with that. I was actually, I tweeted this before, but like, yeah, existence is okay. Like you deserve human rights, even if you exist, you know, you don't have to accomplish anything. You don't have to do anything spectacular. You don't have to do anything out of the ordinary. Like you're, you're, you're valuable just for existing, you know, and, and you deserve human rights and the equal um, treatment, you know, no matter who you are, whether you're in Gaza, Washington, D.C., or where I am in um, South Texas. I think, you know, all human beings deserve human rights. That's one thing I don't think corporations do. I think that that is um, one of the fallacies of uh, uh, American laws. These corporations have gotten the rights of immortal persons, and uh, unfortunately our um, government is uh, plutocracy or perhaps an oligarchy. Uh, putting um, seems like profit over people, and I don't like that at all. I do want to interject one thing here too. Uh, you had mentioned, you know, we're all struggling. I totally agree, especially this weird economy, this greedflation, this cost of living crisis that we're uh, all experiencing right now. Is you know, prices are up for everything. It seems like I mean, just going grocery shopping, get picking up a couple things, it's like a hundred bucks now. It's nuts. But I, I think that um, you know, we're all in this together. Solidarity. That's a great thing. You know, that, that kind of brought me to leftist politics, or at least, you know, that's some of the themes that I'm reading as I study this political philosophy stuff, because that's what 
uh, inter- interests me the most. I love political philosophy, understanding our reality, understanding our political system, our economic system, our social system. These types of things I find very interesting. And some of the things um, that are most informative or enlightening are stuff that I've read from philosophers thousands of years ago. You know, you can go back to yep. like Aristotle, Plato. Uh, Socrates didn't write anything, but he had some very interesting things to say up until um, maybe the uh, the philosophers of the Enlightenment era, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, um, Descartes, René Descartes. I like his uh, philosophies a lot. Some of the same How about stuff Diogenes? That, I'm not familiar. I like David Hume. He's probably my favorite uh, other than Noam Chomsky. David Hume wrote some amazing stuff. But what I what I what I think about um, leftist politics, it's you know you're you're kind of um, supporting the underdog. You know the, the you're not supporting the favorite. You know you're supporting the underdog. Uh, it's an uphill battle. It's a struggle, especially against organized power. So I like it how you kind of simplified it and kind of your worldview and maybe how you used your disability to um, define yourself and maybe your place in this ways. world. So that's what I want to do. I want to organize with others. We're all in this together, and I'm a leftist for sure. I'm slanted. I'm biased. I'm always on the side of the underdog, you know, whether it's in Gaza with the people struggling to just live or anywhere else in the world where, you know, uh, I love what's the ghost of Tom Joad. You know, anytime you see a a cop beating down a guy, you'll see me. You know that Rage Against the Machine song? I love Um, that song. Yes, I love that song. The, yeah, the Rage Against the Machine cover of that song is spectacular. That's how I see myself. I'm the ghost of Tom Joad. You know, whenever you see someone getting taken advantage of in this society, someone sleeping under a bridge or, you know, living in a box, as I've seen, you know, hundreds of people done live back in Baltimore just living in, you know, shanty towns that were um, all over the place because we don't have had to you sleep know, in my a car before. housing option. I've had to sleep in my car before. Yeah, I think I remember that on the on the pre-call. Why don't you talk about uh, your experience there? Did you was, was this an extended period of time where you were trying to you were sleeping in your car and stuff? Or no, I mean I've been pretty lucky and fortunate in the sense that it's you know it's not been an extended period of time type thing. However, I have had to lean on the generosity and kindness of friends of strangers. So, you know, I get it. You know, I've had to lean on the kindness of family, the generosity and kindness of family. Like, people who don't have these things, you know, in a sense, you know, I I grow up in a sense, like, just with this knowledge that my survival kind of depends on other people giving a shit about me, right? And that's important. It's an extremely unfair and humbling experience, and it's an extremely rude awakening. You kind of learn this very early in life. You know, you kind of learned that the world's not a fair place. The world doesn't give a shit about underdogs. The world might find underdog stories to be inspirational. But, again, the subtext being implied here while we're on the Necessary Illusions podcast, which is some shit I really vibe with, by the way, is like, you know, let's expose things a little bit. Like, the implications here are that if you are a person with a disability and you are not inspiring you are not deserving. That's the subtext of, you know, what we communicate when we fetishize the struggles of disabled people and we lionize, you know, disabled people as like super inspirational superhero figures instead of just like normal people who just have to overcome extraordinary circumstances all the time 
because it's just built into how we experience the world. And I think there, with capitalism, there is a lot of like social Darwinism, you know, survival of the fittest, which I think is bullshit. Uh, I don't think that society should be structured like that at all, and I don't think it is. Um, yeah, I, I tend to think, you know, solidarity. I tend to think civilized societies, you know, you, you can kind of measure them on how they treat the most vulnerable people. You know, and if you want to even look at, like, fascism and Nazism, you know, that was a very cruel society. Obviously, what they did to Jewish people was horrendous, you know, but also people of other minority groups, uh, gypsies, and I guess people with um, mental disabilities and other disabilities, they were also, you know, put into concentration camps. So that's what I think a leftist is, you know, I think, you know, even though the Nazi, um, you know, even though the Nazi party said something about socialism, they were were nothing to do with socialism. Uh, You know, I think that they were a totalitarian society, a right-wing fascist ideology, which I do not, you know, support. And, um, you know, I think that... um, What's going on in Gaza? I see a lot of similarities. I mean, these people are desperate, they're poor, they're hungry, and yet, you know, we're not trying to help these people. We're spending more of our taxpayer money, you know, trying to exterminate these people and uh, or at least help Israel, our ally, you know, uh, take over this region, take over this power center. It's not a war. It's very one-sided. It's been called a war by the mainstream media, but it's, you know, a one-sided genocide, at least um, the way that I see it. But, uh yeah, I, I just think that the world is a very dark place. Um, this social Darwinism stuff and capitalism is kind of real. I think a lot of people believe in it. You know, people like Elon Musk and, you know, Jeff Bezos, you know, that kind of stuff where, um, you know, if you have all the money and all the power, you know, you, you get the, the government working for you. But I think in a, in a civilized society, uh, I think government should work for poor people, disadvantaged people, vulnerable people. I don't think we should have a government, an oligarchy, a plutocracy by the rich for the rich. So I, I think, you know, you called yourself a revolutionary. I, I think we need to revolutionize this country. I think we were supposedly, you know, founded as a democracy, at least in, in theory, if you listen to some of the, the stuff the founding fathers wrote about. But at the time of the founding of America, at its inception, you know, if you were a woman, if you were a Native American and Indian, or if you were a black slave, you know, you didn't have very much democracy, you know. So we have transformed society a little bit, but we have a long way to go, you know. And I think a revolution is what we need. Uh, and I think we need a, a very much more uh, a society that looks out for each other, you know, a society that uh, takes care of vulnerable people, uh, a society that offers free health care uh, for anyone that needs it, education for anyone that needs it. Uh, if you lose your job, you know, you get some unemployment insurance. And so I, I think we need to rebuild the social safety nets, you know. And I think some of the uh, Scandinavian countries have a lot better social safety nets than we do here in America. But that's just a more benign form of capitalism in, in the long I've run. Had them. to transform the entire economic system. But, uh, you know, I think we can at least aspire to... Uh, be at least, you know, on par with Norway, which is a much poorer society with a lot less resources than we do here in America. I think it should be a national scandal, and Chomsky has said that too. If there's one hungry person in the United States or one person that's homeless that goes to bed without a place to, you know, lay their head, it should be an absolute scandal for the richness that we have, for the billions and billions of hoarded wealth, you know, that, that the elites have here, but just, you know, we don't have any natural enemies. We have, we're rich with resources. We are a country with unprecedented advantages. 
Uh, we should also have some of the highest wages in the world. We don't, you know. I mean, we still have a 7.25 minimum wage. So, I, I, I mean, we have this. I said I tweeted this earlier today. Uh, a really good way to help. A really good way to distract um, society from the domestic problems here in America is to have a war. You know, that's that's kind of what the Republicans did under like George W. Bush and that sort of thing. Um, you know, when they when they were having some problems um, with you know with the re-electing re-election campaign, what did they do but start a war in Iraq, you know, and you had this jingoist rally around the flag kind of stuff. And it's kind of out of the Biden playbook right now. I mean, he's, we got two wars going on and yet um, we got a lot of problems here in, in America. And yet we are funding, you know, the settler colonial expansion in Israel. Uh, we want to con- continue to kind of control the world's oil supply Um through Israel and having a foothold there in the Middle East, and we're paying for Israel's you know healthcare program. They have a universal healthcare program. When uh, unfortunately here in the United States we don't. So instead of spending U.S. tax dollars on domestic education, public education, and uh, and healthcare, we're sending it to Israel for genocide. So like, let's just redirect and refocus a little bit because um, I'm kind of we're getting way off topic here. No doubt. Sure. Yeah, I'll just respond a little bit to, you know, the discussion of fascism and the othering and the casting people into different groups and deciding, you know, which groups of people are fit, which groups of people are unfit, which groups of people are white, which groups of people are not white. You know, what is a man? What is a woman? Who gets to be called a man? Who gets to be called a woman? How do we define each other? You know, this person has a disability, therefore, whatever, fuck them, there's something wrong with them. That's a real mentality that existed in the Nazi camp. And deaf people were targets of Nazism and targets of fascism. And deaf people also resisted to the very bitter end. And in many cases, in most cases, gave their lives combating fascism. Um, people with disabilities, especially super apparent disabilities, were sometimes and often the first to die. Um, so that's also something that I think about often. I think about, you know, what it would be like if that shit came to America and people tried that here. And many people don't even know this, but from 1867 to 1974, It was illegal in the United States to exist in public and have a disability at all. It was illegal. If you had something wrong with you and people could tell something wrong with you and people could tell, you were in violation of the law in many places. And this started, all of this started in San Francisco, of all places. And they were called the ugly laws. And they were on the books in many cities in the United States They were called ugly laws, and one of the only reasons why they started to be repealed is because veterans were coming home from Vietnam, missing their limbs. And when people come home from Vietnam is missing their limbs, you can't really tell people that went through that and all their families and all their friends and everyone that knows them, you can't be like, oh, fuck that person. They don't have a leg. You can't do that and get away with it. You can't continue to maintain political legitimacy and social cohesion if you're doing that to people. 
you're going to run into a crisis of legitimacy. But okay, let's refocus the conversation. I always go off script. I always make a script, but uh, tend to okay. never follow it. So let's get back on our main focus tonight, solar power. Uh, you are a solar consultant. You started uh, Maxed Out Solar. Tell me about the founding of the company. I guess it was uh, started during the COVID the COVID nineteen global pandemic. So, um, what inspired you, and how did it all come together? Sure, you know that's a really great question. It's one of my favorite things to talk about. Is my backstory. Um, you mentioned, you know, the concept of the underdog. I've always been an underdog. Um, I've always thought of people around me as people who are mostly good people and just need, you know, a hand up. You know, I know what it's like. I know how, like, like when people are just like, oh, well, why don't those disabled people just get their free handouts? It's like, one, those don't exist. Two, we don't even want them even if they did exist. Like, people want to contribute, believe it or not. Like, people like the idea of contributing. People like the idea of being a part of something. Uh, people especially like helping others. So I view this as kind of like the culmination of a few things all happening at once. One is the mass adoption of remote work. Everyone went digital. So everyone was available for more meetings. Everyone was available uh, consuming a lot more social media, doing a lot of, uh, you know, opining and discussing about like current events and things like the, the climate crisis and things like, you know, COVID-19, like these are all things that people care about discussing. There's a lot of people being more online and active. So I, that became a thing. And then also I had such a long history of being an activist that dates back to, I would say the Occupy movement, doing things like community gardening, growing and giving away free veggies in my community, um, organizing community health clinics and uh, Know Your Rights events uh, for immigrant workers, especially um, just doing lots of cool things with other cool people in my community, um, doing banner drops, you know, organizing groups of protesters to go to D.C. and support larger national level actions and get some experience in the streets of D.C., learn about their rights as protesters, learn about how to be a street medic, you know doing really cool things as a community organizer. And so I saw solar as an opportunity to take something that I'm already passionate about, which is helping people and also, you know, doing something good for the planet too, helping people survive capitalism, helping people take ownership of their own energy infrastructure instead of, you know, continuing to rent, you know, power at landlord prices from the utility company you know, it's much better for people to own their own energy infrastructure. Also, um, one of the people that I just helped out in California, I don't know if you know this, um, This you know, California is getting hit with like absolute torrential downpours, um, an atmospheric river. We're talking about things like the climate crisis. Um, and, you know, that's something that we really need to be on top of. So one of my customers, one of my recent customers in California, a guy that I helped from LinkedIn, he's saving, uh, I believe, over 100K on his, you know, forecasted future energy costs. I believe he's saving well over 100K. Um, but he also has a home battery now. 
So his house will be protected during serious emergencies, like a power outage. He's not going to be affected. He's going to be able to continue to produce power, store it, and consume it and draw it as he needs to. In other words, his house can operate fully self-sufficiently if he needs it to. So I see what I do, you know, in a sense, some people could be like, oh, well, you're just another fucking capitalist. Like, you know, that's one way to frame it. But in another way of framing it is like, I really do see this as a way for working class people who have done well enough for themselves to own their houses to, that's the hard part, to, you know, take one little more bump up and go so or do something good for the planet and also reward yourself financially if your house is a good match. So let's, let's talk about this cool. here. Talk, talk to me about uh, the company, if you don't mind. Um, so this yeah. is your venture. Do you partner with another company or, or do you, how, how does this all work? I mean, are you a one man yes. operation and, and are you also um, getting these people uh, the assistance to install it or do they install it on their own? Do they have to get contractors. Talk about maybe the business model, if you don't mind. Sure. Yeah. So I work with a different company called Power and Power is a platform, like a digital sales platform, sales project management, uh, solar panel system design. Uh, Power also offers an incredibly strong industry leading 30 year warranty that a lot of other solar companies can't compete with. Um, and power is what allows me to operate at a national level in over 20 U.S. states, plus the island of Puerto Rico. Um, however, I do business under my own personal brand, Maxed Out Solar, because that gives me much more, you know, range and flexibility of, you know, being able to take real ownership of my own messaging and my own personal brand. So. I describe myself as maxed out solar and independent power consultant. Um, but yeah, you're right. I don't, I don't work fully um, on my own. I do actually use the power platform to design people's um, solar panel systems for their roofs. Um, you know, I partner with power as, you know, the provider that I choose to, I choose part, I choose power. Like as an independent contractor, I am free to choose which organizations I sell and do business under. I choose Power specifically because of their amazing 30-year warranty that a lot of solar companies just can't compete with. One of the biggest problems in the solar industry right now is that about 50%, 50% of people who go solar are going solar with no home, with no kind of solar warranty. So if anything happens to their equipment, anything at all, it's on them to fix it. It's not covered by any kind of plan or anything. 50% of people. So that's why I kind of try to intervene here and catch people before they make this mistake. And they know that by choosing me as their sole provider, by choosing to do business with somebody who aligns with an organization like Power, PBC, Public Benefit Corporation, um, on the Inc. 500, or I'm sorry, on the Inc. 5000 list, consistently, um, consistently ranking high numbers up there, Inc. 5000. Um, it's for good reason. It's because they're doing good things. It's because they're making solar sales accessible to people who have previously been locked out of the economy, such disabled people like myself. You know, I'm able to reach homeowners remotely, build my personal brand, 
talk to people directly, get to know people on a very personal, you know, one-on-one level, figure out whether or not I can help somebody. And in the cases where I can help somebody, I help them provide a sincere benefit. And then I get the positive added benefit of getting recommended to friends and family. So over time, the amount of money that I need to spend on things like marketing and things like branding and things like printed materials and all this other crap over time, that will drop to zero because what I'm hoping to do is do so well at what I do, which is help people that I don't need to spend any money on that because word of mouth takes care of everything for me. And, you know, as a disabled person, I know how fucking hard it is to earn an honest dollar in this country. And I know how little help is available for people. So, you know, I guess my real message is that I started this company because I saw an opportunity unfolding in front of us, which is the normalization of remote work and increased public awareness of the climate crisis. Um, With remote work comes uh, higher energy costs, even if you only work one or two days a week, that's higher energy costs for you. And I also see the mass adoption of things like electric vehicles on the horizon. And I see a lot of people getting their homes ready for like smart home integrations, home battery backups, things like this. And I see a lot of potential there. The activist in me sees a lot of potential there to help people plug in and find one another and establish, you know, solar mutual aid hubs where, you know, even if there is some kind of like energy related emergency, at least, you know, there's five people in this zip code that all know each other and they have solar and they could work together to kind of make sure that like shit doesn't go completely south for everybody. So right? like that's I, kind I of love that grassroots mutual aid. I think that sounds awesome. You had yeah, mentioned uh, you had mentioned electric cars, which I'm not a huge fan of. I would much rather have like a, a public transportation system, you know, within local communities and cities and that kind of thing. So like that's kind of where I differentiate and see myself, you know, as a socialist. And that mutual aid is something. Uh, that appeals to me that in um, solidarity, but you know when you're talking about going off the grid, perhaps uh, with solar power, electric vehicles, that sort of thing. I think that's cool, and it's certainly better than you know um, using fossil fuels to for, as your energy source, right? But I would much rather have communities scaled up, you know. Um, at, uh, public kind of um, infrastructure projects, like again, how about like uh, you know renewable energy co-ops, and, and uh, you know have like a grid set up of people who want to use the solar power, you know, and perhaps you could share it within local communities. I think that would be awesome. I'm just thinking outside the box here. This is not an area of expertise, but I think you know I think this is a great something maybe to aspire to. And the same with electric vehicles. Oh, sure, that's great. Electric vehicles are fine, especially if you can afford one with those uh, those Tesla trucks, something like a hundred thousand dollars. I know there's a lot more affordable electric vehicles, but what I think would be a lot cooler is high-speed rail connecting the entire country, north to south, east to west, perhaps going hundreds of miles an hour, uh, you know, like they do in Europe and um, Japan. Uh, We have, you know, rail tracks here in the United States, but the majority of them are privately owned, so we have very little publicly owned and operated managed infrastructure. We don't even have high-speed rail, I don't believe. So I think these types of infrastructures, scaling them up, large large public infrastructure projects, as opposed to rugged individualism, you know, let me get my house off the grid, I'll be okay, that sort of thing. You know you know, I'm going with that, though? You know, I, I, I think your, your plan is awesome, but I'd love to then, you know, kind of scale it up and come together and have local communities um, power each power these communities, you know, maybe with renewable energy co-ops type stuff like that, you know? 
let me just jump in here real quick because I agree with everything you're saying, right? Like we don't disagree at all. Um, I don't view them as things that are necessarily mutually exclusive. I think that, you know, the majority of our strategy in the climate crisis should be, should be, should be large scale investments in things like, you know, public transportation, right? Um, I also know that in California recently, there was a landslide that basically cut off a commuter rail track and basically it's it's that commuter rail track is no longer usable for now until the foreseeable future until whenever it's usable again so like this is the and like a few years ago uh vancouver island all of vancouver island was cut off from the rest of mainstream main or mainland canada because of some kind of landslide that occurred so again like i think that what we are talking about here is like we're completely in alignment when we talk about the need to have things like public transportation, but why can't that public transportation be EV powered, right? Like, does that public transportation need to be gasoline powered? I say no. So my, what really what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to create what's called additionality and adding additionality to the grid, right? So the grid is based on really ancient technology it was designed to last about 50 years or so when the grid was built. It was this, it's a, this huge clusterfuck of all these different like energy cooperatives and, you know, little. So the US was a, it was a, it was a, uh, it was a civil engineering project by big auto and the oil companies. Of course, uh, you know, the building of the roads under the guise of defense was, basically a direct subsidy to big auto. We couldn't drive the cars all over this country if we didn't have the roads first. So right. we pay that um, taxpayers do is again, pretty much a direct subsidy to big auto and big oils is a massive social engineering project. We could, um, and they, and they, one of the things they did, there was a conspiracy to kind of, dismantled the public transportation system and many of the big countries at the turn of the century we had you know public infrastructure and and uh transportation we don't anymore at least not in most cities certainly not here down should have it down in texas but yeah this was so we need new you know a green new deal i mean i've talked to some green party um people over the last couple weeks um you know i I think the green new deal is a great thing unfortunately the the democrats are are no longer and maybe outside of bernie and aoc um are not um you know, discussing it, it's not in, in the public consciousness, but I think the Green New Deal is something that we should be continuing to push on the left. You know, we need a, uh, a oh, mobilization effort on the scale of perhaps World War II if we're going to ever uh, address this climate crisis. Of course, That's- the United States military is the world's largest polluter. We use 100 million barrels of oil every year just for the U.S. military. So I think if we would redirect um, this money and, and, the, and these resources to a renewable energy grid and to a massive um, green new deal, some, you know, some new era um, infrastructure uh, and a new grid um, with hopefully the focus, high speed rail, green energy, solar, all these types of, all these types of. No um, lies detected, no lies detected. (laughs) So like, you know, everything you're talking about is spot on. Um, we do need to have that kind of Herculean level of, you know, public project infrastructure spending. Um, people oftentimes decry these types of ideas and they're like, well, who's going to pay for it? And it's like, 
we literally fund like the foreign war operations is like eight hundred billion dollars a year. So like, don't ask me who's going to pay for it. Like, the Inflation Reduction Act. Like, we're just going to redirect the resources. It was, was three hundred dollars oil. Exactly. It was a three hundred. The Inflation Reduction Act which has been hailed as this like huge climate victory, this huge, like, Oh my God, we finally did it. It's like, we did like step one point a is what we finally did when we passed the inflation reduction act. Like this doesn't end. There is no end to this shit. Like there is no, oops, we're all done now. No, like there's like overreacting if that is the worst thing that we do in response to the climate crisis, then like, good. Like if overreacting is the worst thing that happens, good. Like you cannot have too healthy of a planet, like whether it's the people on it or, you know, the ecological systems interacting with one another, the birds, the butterflies, the bees, the grasshoppers, the field mice, the meadows, the, you know, yeah, like, the lack of biodiversity, you know, as, as a social that, engineering project and the suburbanization of the United States continues and has continued for, I don't know, maybe 100 or so years. But, yeah, we now lack biodiversity. We're in a massive extinction event. The last one was caused by an asteroid that killed off the dinosaurs. This time around, we're the, we're the asteroid. We're the one that's killing off the planet. So we need to do something and get our act together before it's too late. And hopefully we're not past the tipping point. And that's kind of where I'm at. You know, as a solar consultant, as I know that one of the things that we can do, I don't really believe that, like, it's our burden as individuals. I don't believe that it's our place to blame each other. Like, I don't blame you, MC, for not going solar. I don't, you know, I don't believe, oh, it's your fault. He didn't ask me to get a cons- I I no, do blame like- the 1% in the 250 people, a couple uh or 250 private jets a couple weeks ago that flew to Vegas for the Super Bowl. Those people, that's who I blame for destroying the planet. I mean, maybe not totally, but they are using a disproportionate number of resources compared to you and I. What Taylor Swift spends on energy consumption a year versus what you and I could spend on it, it's a totally different ballpark. I think that right now, the type of room that you and I are in right now in the digital sense of it being a room is one where... You and I are both very big picture and long-term oriented thinkers. So that's something that we have in common. And I think that in the long term and in the big picture, we have a serious moral obligation to think about things in terms of like systems and, you know, things like the automotive industry versus the rail industry and how, you know, one came to dominate the other. It wasn't just that, oh, well, hey, shucks, automotives are simply better. They're more convenient. They're cheaper. They're better for the planet. No, it's that's not how this unfolded. Things were sabotaged. The Shifting the burden to consumers, you know, instead of public infrastructure projects or public health care or public education, there's this shift to individual consumers for literally everything. Capitalism wants to commodify everything. I want to I want to shift this because we got about 20 more minutes here. I want to stay on solar, but this is one of the things we talked about on the pre-call. There's a lot of maybe misconceptions and myths out there about solar, the cost of solar, 
They're, I've heard this from people. They're going to put a lien on your house if you miss a payment. It might take decades to pay off the solar, uh, these solar panels. There's long-term contracts that are very thick with lots of stipulations that might scare people uh, away. So um, elderly and vulnerable people uh, getting taken advantage of. This is all stuff that I've had in real conversations with people talking about solar, whether it was when I was back in Maryland or down here in Texas, both states where, you know, people I've seen are starting to put solar panels on their houses. So perhaps we could address some of these myths and misconceptions. What about the cost of solar liens on the houses, long-term contracts? Can you address that? Sure. Yeah. So cost of solar is everything has a cost. Um, do you, Currently, pay an electricity bill, MC. I do. I, I and I, this this month was only about forty bucks. I'm actually in an energy co-op, and I love it. Uh, but I'm also, you know, I work second shift, so I'm rarely here during the day. Uh, my yeah. my HVAC unit has barely been turned on in the last month. I'm down here in South Texas, where the high is about uh, seventy five and the low is sixty. In the summer, it's a lot higher, but right now, it's pretty good for me. About fifty bucks a month. Let's say that your circumstances were a little bit different. Let's say you didn't have, have the option of joining an energy co-op where you live. Like, let's say it just doesn't exist and you have real problems right now and you can't be thinking about, oh, well, what if somebody creates an energy co-op in my area 10 years from now? You have a problem that needs to be solved, which is your energy bills are going up. They are skyrocketing. The cost of living is not getting any more affordable. You mentioned the cost of groceries. Look at the cost of energy. Since the early 2000s, the cost of energy in the United States has doubled. So, you know, if we're talking about a cost of living crisis, we have to include the cost of energy in all of our conversations about a cost of living crisis. And we're also talking about the convergence of the cost of living crisis intersecting with the climate crisis. And so are giving us a imperfect but much better much better financially and much better ecologically alternative to continuing to burn fossil fuels, consume coal, oil, natural gas. Solar gives us an alternative to that. So what I would say is, you know, people have problems right now today that need to be solved. And solar is one way that they can do that. I would advise people to work with somebody who is a reputation-centric solar provider, not somebody who's just hungry for every possible dollar they can get. You know, I'm not afraid to take opinions. I'm not afraid to stand for beliefs. I'm not afraid to potentially alienate a buyer because I do believe in the things that I believe, and I believe in these things for good reasons, and I like you. I share, you know, a very, you know, positive vision for humanity. That's one that's oriented around collaboration and mutual aid and helping one another. And um, I think that's a message that a lot of people can get down with and a lot of people can vibe with. Um, I think that my my message to people who are thinking about going slower and might be on the fence is, you know, don't just sign with the first person that knocks on your door. You know, there's a lot of people out there, a lot of companies out there who are running door knockers and a lot of people who are training people to same day sit and close. So which I view as a really unethical, high pressure sales tactic, which, you know, getting somebody to meet with you that same day. People are busy. People have busy lives. People got to get the kids 
from soccer practice. People got their activism meeting at 6 p.m. to talk about the climate crisis. Like people got more important things to do than talk to you, the solar representative, right there at the door and make a very serious financial decision without really weighing everything through. So I think, you know, a lot of this is on the solar industry. A lot of this is on people for being, you know, unethical and, you know, chasing money instead of building relationships with people, you know, chasing sales instead of solving problems. I think that's a real problem in the solar industry. But I also, if you look, um, I hate I hate to cite Forbes, first of all, but there is a recent article by Forbes that states that 90% of people who go solar don't have any complaints about it. You know, 90% of people who go solar have positive experiences. And, you know, I will say this, like, I'll go right out in front of it. I, I, I can't speak to what you're talking about with regards to liens and things like that, because that's thankfully never happened to any customers of mine. But I will just go ahead and say, I'll just go right ahead. I don't keep secrets. The worst experience, the worst experience somebody has had in going solar. Let's just talk about it, okay? Because one of them was this guy out in California. I put holes in his roof with solar, and this is extremely rare that this happens. This is the only time this has happened, in fact. Unfortunately, he got hit with this atmospheric river, and there was some damage that occurred. However, we looked into it. We had people go out and look into it, and it was discovered that the rain damage that occurred actually was not connected to the solar installation. It was connected to an existing vent that was already in there. However, it still gave me a real scare. It made me feel really bad that, you know, I had potentially damaged somebody's roof. And, you know, it caused, you know, some friction with this guy, you know, who thankfully we're still cool. We're in, we're in a good place. You know, he I keep things on the up and up with people. I tell people about our solar warranty, which does cover rooftop penetration. So if this was linked to the solar installation, he would have been protected. It was not. Um, that's, you know, pretty much the worst case that's happened. Then this guy is still saving, you know, well over $100,000 in forecasted 25-year savings. So, you know, I really try to look out for people. I really try to avoid installing on roofs that are not ideal fits for people. I had no way of knowing that this giant, you know, atmospheric river torrential downpour was about to occur. You know, we don't we don't have any, there's certain things we just don't have any control over. Um, but we do have control over, you know, how we, te- how we treat people and how we build relationships with people. Um, I don't just view people as like people to market to or, you know, people to take their money or whatever. You know, I think that that's one, you know, stereotyped and caricatured way of thinking about sales. But, you know, I, I invite, you know, the viewers to challenge that a little bit and push back about, push back on that a little bit. Um, you can also think about, what I do as something that's very collaborative, something that's very sincere and really wanting to help people do something good for themselves and for the planet. And everything that you're saying about things like having public transportation, I fully agree with all that. Like I, I am a Metro rider. I love the DC Metro. I ride the bus. You know, I have excellent, amazing, incredible conversations with people. It's one of the few cities in the country which I think has really good public uh, transportation. New York is another Philadelphia yep. is pretty decent, uh, but yeah, those are the three cities I'm familiar with uh, as being a lifelong East Coaster before I moved to Texas. Really good um, public transportation options in those three cities. D.C. for sure. Philly, I thought was pretty good, and New York, of course. 
Yeah, absolutely. And like, you know, so everything that you're talking about there, that's all stuff that I'm very much on board with. You, you, and there's none, zero. by the way, in Baltimore. There's almost no public transportation in Baltimore. I mean, it needs to change. Yeah. It needs to change. My hometown, I'm originally from Frederick. So, you know, um, you know who you're talking to now. I've been one of the original OGs pushing for, you know, serious. I've been saying for years, getting ridiculed for doing so saying for years how gutted our public transportation is and how much better it needs to be. The first job that I ever worked, I was working at a retailer in Frederick. I was 19 years old. I didn't have a car. I took the bus to get to work. So like, and one of my coworkers, this dude would walk like three or four miles starting at like five in the morning so he could get to work on time. Like, you know, this was my introduction to like what working class life is. Yeah, a broken, a lot a broken of... infrastructure. You know, a, a broken yes. infrastructure, an opportunity. You can look at it as a problem, which it is, but this is an opportunity. We can transform these cities and, and make them. I want to talk about this real quick before um, before we transition a little bit. Um, you know, the differences state to state, federal regulations, uh, state regulations. I do want to mention the fact that the fossil fuel industry gets billions of dollars in subsidies. Not to mention. Um, you know, consignment from the U.S. government, from the military, using, what, 100 million barrels of oil a year. That's built into the business model. The business model for um, big oil, we have an oil-based economy. You can't have prices too low uh, because that's going to cut into profits, but you also can't have them too high because that's going to influence demand. So this this cost of oil is highly manipulated um, and... um, you know, the goal was to maximize profits for the most part. And, uh, you know, the United States, um, you know, with, with Israel's, you know, kind of controls the world's uh, oil supply there. And one of the one of the reasons that we want to be there is so that the, the, the profits from the oil, you know, flows west into banks in, um, you know, London and, and New York and that sort of thing. But what we could do is transform the economy, you know, and instead of invest billions and billions and billions of dollars every single year to these big fossil fuel companies that are destroying the planet, perhaps we could redirect these subsidies and, and resources and this funding into renewable energy projects. So, you know, perhaps we could have tax breaks, direct subsidies, cash payouts from the government, so that in turn, in the long run, would keep the costs of energy down, especially for renewable, you know, more environmentally friendly, um, you know, energy sources, so we can kind of scale down the fossil fuel usage and scale up the renewable energy. So I, so I think we have uh, an opportunity to just re re. Uh, organize you know the way we spend our tax dollars we can you can spend it destroying the planet and digging up old dinosaur bones and then burning them or perhaps we could you know scale up solar energy wind energy you know whatever whatever other forms there are but i think solar is is has great potential i'm no expert i'm no scientist but uh the sun it's it's putting off tons and tons of free energy every single day so if we can just learn uh a way to um you know, use this free energy given to us every single day, a tiny fraction of, a, of it, perhaps we could be energy independent. Uh, what, what are the, what are the, I guess, the, the differences, though? Let's talk about um, the governments and how maybe uh, incentives differ from state to state. I'm sure some states 
uh, have a little bit more benefits. Uh, I don't know about Texas. It seems very a very oily, oil-friendly state, and maybe California, that's my perception, maybe a little bit farther left-leaning. Maybe it's a little bit better to do business in California than it is Texas. But what say you? Uh, from the federal level and the state level, is there a lot of differences going from different regions in this country and how you know the, 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 the tax dollars are used and the incentives and the, the subsidies and that kind of stuff? I would say, um, yeah, it does vary. It varies from state to state, but it also varies even as much as from utility to utility. The energy utility industry is extremely variable in that sense. Um, in the sense that in some states you can have an incredible utility with incredible incentives. And then, then even in that same state, there might be a different utility where there's just nothing and everything just sucks. Like, it's kind of a toss-up. Generally, though, um, California used to be much better. Um, California used to have um, much better uh, laws and regulations. So, yeah, how does it work, the, the, the system? So, to offset the costs of solar, does, does the governments pay you directly? Do they reimburse the consumer typically? I'm sure it differs state to state. Do they get tax breaks? How does the government utilize you know resources to offset the cost of solar for consumers? Yeah. So, basically, there's something called the um, Solar Industry Tax Credit, the ITC, are the solar infrastructure tax credit. It's the ITC um, up to 30% of the total cost of your solar project can be reimbursed by the federal government. That's in the form of a tax credit. You You said 32%, 32%, 30%, 30%. That's still pretty good though. Okay. It's pretty good. Yeah. Um, There's even, there's tons of local incentives too, where you can get that down to get that number down even further. Um, the federal, the federal ITC, that's federal. So that's, you know, nationwide. Um, you do have to have tax liability to uh, be able to benefit from that. However, if you do not have any tax liability, there's still options to still go solar, such as using like a power purchase agreement or, you know, maybe something like that, in which case, you know, you won't be able to claim the tax benefits. Somebody else will, probably the financier. But, you know, you'll still be able to benefit from having a lower electricity bill. You won't get the added equity added to your house. You won't be able to claim any kind of increase in valuation in your home. This is why, you know, most of the time I try to, if people have the resources, the credit, the cash, um, a lot of people who go solar, we mentioned the costs involved. A lot of people go solar with zero money down. That's incredible to me. Uh, We can oftentimes simply just pre-qualify people's roofs. Just by looking at their roofs, looking at the orientation of their roof, and just simply knowing science, we know where the sun is going to be in the sky on any given time, any given year. We know the direction their roof is going to change. We know that it's extremely unlikely that an asteroid is going to hit the Earth and knock it off its axis. And, you know, we can basically predict how much exposure to the sun a roof is going to get year over year. Now, there could be some freak show circus years where, you know, it rains 365 days straight. It's a one in 10,000 year event. It doesn't happen all the time. Like whatever, like I can't do anything about that. You can't do anything about that. Nobody can do anything about that. But generally, most of the time, we have some idea of what a roof is going to look like and what kind of potential energy production it's going to 
we're going to be able to expect out of it. So simply by pre-qualifying people's roofs and looking into these details, we and you know looking at the type of equipment we use, we generally know. Okay, is this going to make sense for somebody? Yes or no? We could generally know that pretty quickly. Um, but then you know we could fine tune it. It's going to like we can know. Yes, it'll make sense. But it's like how much sense? To what degree? Like, are we talking about saving them ten thousand dollars over twenty five years? Are we talking about saving them thirty thousand dollars, a hundred thousand dollars? Like, you know. These are all, you know, questions that we will then answer in greater detail by, you know, looking more deeply into it and fine tuning system performance. And we'll be able to honestly and accurately assess what exactly people can expect to get out of their solar system. Because the number one thing that I can do for myself is do what I say I'm going to do. If I say I'm going to save you $50,000 and then I save you $50,000. I did what I said I was going to do. I can't promise you going solar will save the planet because it won't. It will do one teeny tiny part of what is required to save the planet, but it won't do it all by itself. So, like, I don't really lean on that too much in terms of, like, people feel good about going solar. People feel good about the environmental benefits. They feel good about being prepared for climate emergencies. And I don't really advocate for rugged individualism. I advocate for being plugged in with your community because that's what's going to keep you alive more than anything. You know, I wouldn't be anything without my community's supporters, people recommending me to their friends and families. Like that's, that's what gives me my life. You know, that's what gives me traction. That's what helps me get going and then I do what I say I'm going to do, and I take good care of people, and I respect people, and I treat people the way I would want to be treated, and I you know, respect people's time, I respect their money, and I don't BS people just to get a sale. I'm not going to be like, oh, yeah, like, I love genocide, actually. Like, no, I'm not <laughs> going to, like, just, like, I'm, I'm a real person. I'm true to who I am, and, like, you know, that means something to me, and... I believe in helping people unconditionally. I'm not going to be like, hmm, does this person deserve my help? Do they believe all the same exact things that I would? No, I don't do that either. But, like, at the end of the day, like, the times that we're living in are so desperate that I feel like if your only objective is just shut up and sell solar, then you're not living your life to the fullest. You're not living your life in the most honest and authentic way. You're not truly connecting with people. You're not truly respecting the people you do business with. You're not truly respecting the planet. If you're hiding like huge core parts of who you are, instead of just being honest about yourself, just being honest about your values, being honest about what motivates you. I just got a couple more questions um, about the solar here. Um, How long are people expecting to have these solar units? What's the lifetime? Is it 25, 30 years? Sure. So the savings calculations that I use are savings projected over 25 years, but the solar systems themselves are warrantied for 30. The 30 year warranty includes parts, labor, cap coverage, rooftop penetration. It transfers if you sell your house. So let's say you own your house, you go solar 10 years down the road, you decide to sell the house. It's still got 20 years left on the warranty for whoever buys your house. So, you know, this is just one other way that I really try to look out for people is by having a transferable warranty. It's prepaid for at the time of sale and it's backed by Lloyd's of London, which is an insurance agency that predates the existence of the United States of America. So So what if someone sells their house, right? But they still owe a lot more 
on their solar unit. How does that work? Does that get complicated? Actually, yeah, that's a really great question. Um, you can include the cost of the solar system in, you know, an added valuation of your home. Um, I don't know exactly how those rules work. I'm not a real estate agent. I'm not a realtor. I'm not. That might change you know, state to state, local community to local community too, maybe. It may. I, I, I honestly couldn't tell you. I would imagine it probably does. But, you know, I'm not, I don't work in home valuations or appraisals or anything like that. So I don't want to get too far outside of my own, you know, knowledge there. What about, um, what about like the roofing? So like, you know, shingles last anywhere between what, 20 and 30 years. So I guess they would probably have to have a new roof um, to, before the install on the, the solar would be to, for it to make sense. Yeah. I mean, sometimes. I think that generally speaking, the best time to go solar is immediately after you do the roof. And I think that the best types of panels to use are 30 year shingles. I think that, you know, match the shingle duration with the solar project lifetime. I think that's a smart way to do it. If you want to, you know, go even further and use 50 year shingles, you know, even better in my opinion, because, you know, Oftentimes, even though the solar systems are warrantied for 30 years, they tend to still produce and perform well outside of the warranty period. And the warranty is just, you know, that's, it doesn't mean that, you know, outside of the warranty period, you can still hire somebody else to come out and service your solar panels. It just won't be automatically covered as, you know, part of, you know, your deal with going solar. Like, that's one of the nice things about the solar warranties. It covers, you know, it's pretty comprehensive coverage and I encourage, you know, anybody who's actually interested in, in solar, you know, get a quote, get a quote from multiple different companies, look at the warranties, figure out like what sets each company apart, you know, look at reviews, get to know the people that you're interested in doing business with. Cause some of these companies could have, you know, a really shitty person who's an asshole that has a terrible reputation who burned, you know, multiple homeowners over the course of a single summer, just knocked on a bunch of different doors with his friends, made a boatload of cash, and then just bounced, right? And then the people might think, oh, that company must be full of shitty people like that. But that's just, that's, it may, or it may be that that person was simply an anomaly. So it's important to get to know each solar consultant, each person, in the same sense that you would get to know, you know, somebody who sells cars or somebody who sells houses. You know, it's a really big, it's an important decision and partnering with the right person for the right reasons is important. So, um, what about the, the technology? So, um, was the technology changing a lot? Has it changed a lot over the last five years, 10 years? Should there be, uh, expectations that it would need to be, you know, serviced and how, I guess, how long have you been in the business and how have you seen, you know, the progression of the, of the technology changes is it getting a lot better or is it something that's, you know, a little bit slower? I mean, computer technology, doesn't it double every couple of years? Is that the same for solar or is it a little bit more uh, slower progression? I would say that at this stage in the maturity of solar technology, we might be a, like, I, I honestly, I don't want to get too far outside of the realm of my own expertise and, you know, be that white guy on a podcast. He starts talking out of his ass that I definitely don't want to be that person, but you know, I don't So the honest answer is I don't know, 
But, you know, if I had to guess based on my experience with the industry, the media that I consume and just the things that I'm immersed with and the articles that I'm around, I believe that we're approaching a period where the technology isn't really quite doubling every two years. It's not we're reading, we're reaching a period where the technology is kind of slowing down in terms of its acceleration, its development, because solar is what I would define as, you know, fairly mature technology. That doesn't mean that it's obsolete. That doesn't mean that solar is going away anytime soon. The government would not be investing massive truckloads of money into solar infrastructure, into solar incentives, if they had any inkling of an idea, oh, yeah, like this is going away. And they wouldn't do this if there was some crazy technology hidden, tucked away, away right, right around the corner, you know, waiting to be unleashed on the public. They wouldn't, they wouldn't be like, okay, yeah, bank your life savings on solar. Like, it's cool. Like, if it doesn't work out for you, no big deal. Hell no. They're not going to be banking those political careers on that kind of stuff. They're only investing in solar because it's legitimate, proven technology that works. It was developed for NASA using public funding to power their satellites for space missions and things like that. So, like, people who say things like solar is a scam, I would say things like solar is a technology. There are people who are involved in the solar industry who may not always have the best intentions, but, you know, just like an automobile, it does what it was designed to do. Like, one automobile is really cool, right? Like, five billion automobiles is a climate threat. Like, we can have this conversation in a really honest way. So, I think that, you know, Back to the subject, I view this as like one form of climate action that people can do just so they can just feel a little bit more peace of mind like I did without guilt tripping people because that's not really the motive here. The, the, the feeling of I started to do my part, like I got my house so ready, I helped electrify the grid. I did something good that if I do it and all my neighbors do it and a whole bunch of people do it. Like collectively, we can create a really huge impact, and we can make that impact even huge, even more large if we all like donate to our local. Like you mentioned, being an anarchist, like I kind of like got my start as like an activist of the Occupy movement. Like I, there have been times in my occupy life. Occupy public buildings, occupy public spaces. We need to be doing this sure. every single day. Like, you know, one thing about America is we don't have like public meeting halls. You know, all that kind of stuff is is not part of our culture. I think they have that more in Europe. We don't really have public meeting spaces where people can go and talk politics, come together. I think America was kind of designed that way. Unfortunately, the way the American political system uh, works, it's, you know, these big decisions, these party managers, you know, the Democrats, you know, the, the, the elites like Hillary Clinton and Obama, that kind of stuff is who's going to be, who's going to run. That's decided in a back door. You know, we have these candidates telling us lies that nobody believes, you know, instead of saying, hey, let's go down to City Hall. Let's talk to some people and then let's decide who we want to represent us. You know, it's not the other way around. They usually come from out of town. They tell you why they should vote. You should vote for them. And, you know, you don't get any of your grievances or issues heard. They just tell you a bunch of lies and things that they think you want to hear. But, uh, yeah, I want to I want to finish on a couple more questions on solar. Um, We're very alike in the sense that we can both get (laughs) off topic. It's okay. We're having fun. (laughs) What did I want to? Oh, okay. What about the efficiency? What about the efficiency of solar? How does it work? 
And does it kind of store up energy on a sunny day and then you can kind of use it? And then I guess if you use up all your solar, do you go back on the regular grid? Uh, I've heard, I've heard, you know, talk to people, I think in Maryland, that they said like, uh, you know, some, some months they, they owe zero dollars or maybe, you know, a couple of dollars for an entire energy bill. If there's like a lot of sun, is that, am I getting this stuff right? Yep, absolutely. Um, Maryland is one that you mentioned, uh, states that are good opportunities for solar. Um, California has recently passed some kind of shitty anti-solar legislation that kind of screws over homeowners. So it's not really as great of an option as it used to be. Basically, long story short, they cut the financial benefits of going solar and selling power back to the utility by about 75%. Um, that's in California, which means that a lot of people in California really need um, a battery in order to benefit financially from going solar. Um, the battery is not so they can be disconnected from the grid. It's so that they can store power and draw it and, you know, based on time of use. And the battery that I recommend using is actually designed specifically for California algorithms and it optimizes based on time of use and it uses uh, solar energy, it draws and stores based on what's optimal. Um, that's Cali. Maryland, though, Maryland has some pretty incredible local solar incentives in Baltimore County and PG County. Baltimore City, not so much. I can't really do anything good in Baltimore City. Can't really touch Baltimore City. Um, but Baltimore, Baltimore County, PG County, Maryland has like a $5,000 local solar incentive, which I think is really cool. Um, and I think that's something that's, you know, we're talking about, you know, how the government will subsidize 30% of the cost. That's the federal government. But that's, that's another starting point, too. That's just a starting point. Yeah, exactly. That's another, you know, that's another five grand you can knock off going solar in Maryland. So Maryland is a slept on state for going solar. A lot of people don't even think about it. Um but um, the technology is getting to a point where, like I said, the industry is kind of mature, but solar is not going away. It's going to be here for a while. It's, you know, it's going to be here for the foreseeable future. It's going to be used. And I kind of see solar as a technology that is used to bridge the gap between where we are right now and where we want to be in the future. Um, fusion energy, hopefully, is coming along sometime in the next century but we're not there yet and we need to get off fossil fuels yesterday so at the same time we need energy so how are we going to get it it's like we have all these kind of competing priorities and conflicting ideas and crises and it's like oh well shit we have this silica shortage or like you know these people over here are using unethical labor practices to harvest the lithium and cobalt like they're using slave labor or whatever for the electric vehicles which is you know something that comes up a lot Major problem yeah i just saw a couple of articles in the last week that does not look good these uh these uh it lithium sucks. ion mines yeah they suck <laughs> it sucks that this stuff is happening and at the same time it's like i'm like i I'm limited in what I can do about it. And it's also like, that's not even like, that's like people just, a lot of people just get it into their head that green is bad. Like renewable is bad. Like this is still bad for the planet. Like there's still mining involved. Like, you know, what's bad is the unethical slave labor and child labor aspect of it. The technology itself isn't bad. It's how that technology is being you know, it's how the labor is being organized to harvest those 
it is how those countries are being compensated for their minerals. It's like, it's these things that are bad. It's like the exploitative and extractive militarized practices that are bad. Like the idea of simply powering the world on solar and, you know, having a more peaceful existence, having a less oil dependent existence, having a more energy independent existence having, you know, an existence that's more collaborative and more community-based and, you know, we don't need to go into other countries and take other people's resources. Like, building that together as a planetary effort, there's nothing bad about that to me. The the sun's out there for all of us to use. It comes over my house as it comes over your house. We can hopefully uh, capitalize on this, this free energy source that's out there. And it's going to be putting out uh, energy for millions, if not billions, of more years. Uh, but, um, yeah, I think it's a step in the right direction. I'm all on board. I like what you had to say. I think it, this is a good starting – Yeah, this is a good end, end point here. I want to give you some time to talk about whatever you want. Uh, where can people find you if they're interested in solar? Anything else you'd like to plug? Go right ahead. The stage is yours, and then we'll wrap it up. Sure. Yeah, well, I just wanted to say thank you, MC, for having me on. And for, you know, presenting an opportunity to get a little bit more personal, talk about, like, you know, why we have this shared affinity for fuck Nazis. You know, I don't know what brought you to the cause of fuck Nazis, but for me, it was my deafness. And, you know, I am fully on board with the idea that we need to invest in humanity. We need to invest in each other. We need to take better care of each other collectively, socially, take care of ourselves individually, look out for each other. These are all values that I'm on board with. And, you know, I appreciate that you, you know, had me on as an anarchist, as, you know, you know, somebody who might have certain thoughts about, you know, who I am and how I do business. I appreciate you gave me an honest shake to get out there and like put my ideas out into the world because we're not really that different. I think that we have a lot of things in common. And I think that really what I see this as is like, it's a form of do it yourself. It's a form of direct action. It's a form of stepping up. It's, you know, if I don't do it, some guy who watches Andrew Tate and buys 500 sports cars is going to do it. And I want to step up and help people for the right reasons that I want to maybe encourage people to funnel money to sunrise, funnel money to extinction rebellions, stunning, you know, funnel money to stop line three, funnel money to stop cop city, like funnel money to your local climate organizations. Like think about what is happening to our planet. Think about the impact on our, you know, that militarization is having on our planet. Just today, Aaron Bushnell, rest his soul, self-immolated in front of the White House. Pretty crazy. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. I tweeted about that earlier today. Uh, someone also made the, the had a picture of uh, that and then the uh, the monk. I think that was in the Vietnam era, the the Rage Against the Machine album cover. Uh, those two images uh, as one, and just like you know, uh, then and now, pretty crazy. Uh, a lot has changed, but yet a lot remains the same, doesn't it? So you know, I I agree, and I guess what I'm really trying to say here is we're headed in a really scary direction as a planet, and I think that. You know, some people might roll their eyes at the fact that I'm so opinionated and I have these core beliefs and things, but these ideas have been shaped by my own personal experience of the struggle and my knowledge that there's lots of good people out there who struggle 
lots of people who just need a hand up, lots of people who need to stop getting kicked when they're already down, lots of people who need, you know, to be able to talk about things that are potentially embarrassing, like finances, but somebody who's not going to be a judgmental prick about it, you know, there's a real need for this. So that's how I try to stand out and stand apart and shine that much brighter. And, you know, I think that there's, we're really just dealing with a real time of crisis and what we can and can't control is what we can and can't control. But the things that we can't control, like who we do business with, you know, which politicians we support or like, you know, how we spend our time in our community, you know, what causes we align ourselves with, like, just the fact that we choose to wake up each day and not accept defeat and not just think, oh, it's all over, it's all done, it's all lost, it's all hopeless. That is a victory. That's worth celebrating. And, you know, I guess my message is I'm on social media at Maxdell Solar and I really just care about helping people save money. I care about making a positive impact on the planet. I care about community organizing. And this is how I bring all of these things together. Like you said, I don't actually own a car. I take the Metro everywhere and I ride an electric skateboard. So I really do try to live my values, at least to some degree. And uh, I appreciate you having me on the podcast and giving me an honest shake. Um, my call to action isn't even to buy solar. It's not even to get a solar consult. It's just literally get involved in the climate crisis. And if solar is something that comes up down the road, great. But the number one thing that we need is bodies in the streets right now. It's the number one thing that we need. I think uh, 99% of us have a lot more in common than the, uh, than the 1%. So I think we need to come together and see, uh, see that we're a lot closer uh, you know, to one another than the the mainstream media might want us to believe. So whether you're, whether you're right, left, Republican, Democrat, uh, I think 99% of us, uh, if we come together, we can, uh, we can make a real change uh, for the better, hopefully, in this planet. So solidarity. Max, Maxwell Neely of Maxed Out Solar, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. Have a great night. Thank you. Necessary Illusions. I also want to thank my special guest, Maxwell Neely of Maxed Out Solar, for a great discussion on politics and the climate crisis. Again, I am your host, MC Squared. No gods, no masters. I'm out.
there's no one looking Riddles and fiction, false perspective and contradiction Pseudo science and a whole lot of ass Life comes fast, tricks for the trade Terrorize the people, throw them in a cage Straw men hate, necessary to keep the face Keep the pace, keep us with our hands up Democracy, the rich are leading the propaganda They kicking that sand up, can't see Got us fucked up, but we gotta get paid Avoid an escape, hope through a fantasy Snapped out of luck, and I slapped on a filter Still stay rough, cause it's late in the cave Tricking my recipe, illusion Get the best of me, call it necessity Necessary illusions They play on my mind Causing confusion I seek and you'll find A necessary illusion I smoke in that meal That causing confusion Look here, now look here Like that.